0: Welcome to Season 8 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? You want to expand your resource toolbox with practical teaching, learning, and program design strategies? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine.
1: And I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And in our eighth season, we're focusing on research and scholarship in the field. We've been asking pretty much everybody we can get a hold of this question where should leadership educators go for research? Uh, we've been fortunate enough to talk to journal editors, editors of publications for practitioners, leadership scholars, peer reviewers. And in today's episode, we're really fortunate to continue our conversation with lead authors of the nine priorities of the National Leadership Education Research Agenda, lovingly called the N-L-E-R-A, from 2020 to 2025. It was first published in volume 14, issue number three of the Journal of Leadership Studies. Yeah.
0: It rolls off the tongue. You can say Nlera, right? <laughs> NLera. Some, so, Something. <laughs> something like that. So as a refresher, so the purpose of this project, the NALERA 2020 to 2025, it was to really provide a roadmap for future research in leadership education. It was developed by a group of leadership scholars and practitioners from uh, various fields, uh, which certainly uh, kind of prepares us for today's conversations. The intent of the project was really to kind of guide researchers, graduate students looking for dissertation questions, what have you, and identifying some of the most important areas of inquiry, developing some research questions, uh, designing studies that might contribute more understanding and improvement of our field of leadership education. The agenda culminated in nine priorities that were to be used to inform the future practice and development of the next generation of leaders. So we're speaking with authors from each of the nine priorities. And today we're speaking with Dr. Douglas Lindsay, the editor in chief of the Journal of Character and Leaders Development, and he's also a professor and consultant. He led the author team on priority number seven of the research agenda. It was titled Interdisciplinary Leadership, Collectively Driving the Field Forward. So welcome to the show, Doug.
2: Thank you, happy to be here. i excited to have this conversation
0: yeah we're excited that you're here as well and i'd love if you would kind of start out by sharing a little bit with our listeners how did you get involved with this project and this priority specifically
2: that's a great question and you know have, having reflected on it now uh with the idea of interdisciplinary leadership it, you know everybody kind of hears that and goes yeah of course right anybody who's in leadership understands there's a lot that goes into it in terms of a of a topic and i think um, not to go too far back, but if I if I think about how I think about things, the whole idea of kind of interconnectedness and you know interdisciplinary has kind of been a theme um, as I reflect back um, from my uh, early times when I um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I went to college, so I picked a, a college that would kind of help guide me where it was. I went to the Air Force Academy, and one of the beauties of that uh, school was. They have a very robust uh, core curriculum which forces you to go through different disciplines uh, academically and think about how they they contribute to the knowledge of a professional and in that case it was for service in the air force but so you're taking engineering you're taking social science you're taking political science you're taking thermodynamics and and i'm a i'm a fuzzy guy i'm a you know but i have psychology background and so the idea of thermodynamics and and physics and astronautics was daunting, intimidating, struggling, and, and lots of other things on there. But just that idea of being able to think about how different people in different disciplines think about things was was really really helpful as I thought about what do I want to do and how I how I think about things. And so it's kind of been that that early interest in interconnected different types of things. I mean that's one of the beauties of grad school as well, right? There's some forcing functions in there that I went for IO psychology because again, we talk about connectedness, I side, O side, which one do you like? Yes. And both. I, you know, I like them both. So I was able to pick without having to pick. So I got to see the kind of the business work assessment side, but also the people side and how does that fit together and, and, and all of that, but graduate school, being able to take some classes in um, different disciplines like clinical, developmental, and all that to really robust that thinking and going. oh, that's really cool. And you know how do how how that informs what we think about you know you know how do how we think about you know child development and how does that inform you know who we are as adult learners and obviously we know it, it's impacted. So kind of that theme and then professionally in my career through the Air Forces, you know, I started doing promotion testing and then that me got me thinking. Well, well, who's taking these promotion tests? And so then I kind of. My jobs kind of worked their way back, and I was. I worked basic training. I'm like, okay, that's great. Those are our new people that come in. And then I was like, well, how do we get them? And then so then I worked in recruiting. And it's like, well, you know, the, where do those people come? And teaching's been a similar way as well. I, you know, taught in the classroom for a number of years and then wanted to figure out, well, what does online space look like? So then I got into that. So kind of this back and forth. And that's really where the Journal of Character and Leader Development came from was this idea of connectedness. The uh, uh, core function of the Air Force Academy or the core mission is to develop leaders of character. And um, that you know that's a really kind of nice uh, challenge and charge to do. But thinking about that, so when we were on the faculty, we were thinking we well, got this character stuff, great work being done out there by the folks like Marvin Berkowitz and, and Wake Forest has got a lot of good stuff. And there's a lot of stuff in character. And there's just a lot of good stuff on leadership, right? You know, the Journal of Leadership Education, Leadership Quarterly, doing that but where do they come together? And when we think about leaders of character, so that the journal was born out of that um, idea of how do we bring that interdisciplinary nature of scholarship to what we know about character, what we know about leadership, put it together so that we can go, well, how do we know if we're developing leaders of character in our outcomes and all that? So this whole idea of interconnected, interdisciplinary is just how I think. And what I've learned in my career is not everybody thinks that way. And it it, it kind of silos our thinking a little bit. So that's kind of a, a brief background to how I got here.
1: You know, it's, you know, there's so many things you said in that, that, that stand out. Like the, the first part is like, I didn't know what to do. So in, in the program, I, I or in the, the Air Force, I went through all of these different spaces, ones I liked and ones I didn't like to really figure out what, I wanted to do, and so many of our college students go through that process of of bouncing around. Like I always tell my students, I started off as a marketing major in our business school and did not end up in that space. And so it's it's great to hear that, especially as we're trying to teach our students to really explore and be curious. It also feels like your curiosity kind of has led you every step of the way. So as you're asking these questions and trying to figure out, it's almost pulling you into the next opportunity, which uh, again, it's like you're modeling all these things we want of our students. And you're kind of saying like, in my pursuit of understanding how leadership works you know it's leading me along this path which which i feel like is so important and now it connects to why priority number 9 was yours um can you talk a little bit though about your experience working on the priority so like kind of walk us through you knew it was in your core how did you get to it being published or, or getting the buy in from from tony and from kristan you know kind of a, in that space how did it become a priority for leadership education what was your experience
2: yeah it's a that's a that's a great question i think um the hard, the hardest part about that was um, realizing that and i guess i knew this but everybody has a different mental model about how they learn and how they think about things so to me that interdisciplinary nature that interconnectedness was just natural to me so it was, it, it was taking a little bit of a step back going that not everybody has that same mental model and that's okay, right? We all bring different things to bear, but there was a little bit of that idea of um, territorialism, that little bit of that siloed because we all have our disciplines, right? So you know, I kind of come up with IO psychology and there are certain journals that we tend to publish in. there are certain things that we tend to do. There are certain things that we tend to study, right? appraisals, feedback, that kind of stuff on the I side, O side, the or development and that. So so it's how do we start thinking about how do we bring people together and then creating that narrative of um this is a good thing, right? So yeah, you may not be publishing in your traditional journal that you have and that's okay. Um but that's a little counterculture to our to our, our profession, right? It's that idea of what kind of identity do I develop in um as an IO psychologist, or do I really want to kind of make a different difference, right? That's a, that's a huge difference you can make in your discipline, but how do I do that? So, so it was really kind of trying to take a step back and go, what is the, what do people think about it? Because I think notionally people understand, of course, leadership is a multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary, whatever term you want to use, function. We, there, there are aspects of political science, social science, uh, psychology, um, you know, lots of different things that you pull in there, but how do you get people together to talk about it and collaborate in a way that there's not kind of this ego in the room of what, you know, well, this gets a little different from what, what I know and I don't know, and it's okay not to know, but how do you then partner? So I made it a, a, one of my goals in my career is I've got very few of my publications are sole author because I don't, um, I try to, think about what I'm not thinking about and where's the weakness in in what it is that I'm doing or where what am I missing that opportunity? So, so that's kind of a little bit of a background in the mindset about how how Catherine and I kind of went into that approach of what don't we know? What are we making assumptions about in terms of, hey, this is just, everybody thinks this way and it, and they don't. And so, and then how do you create an, a story that, that connects people to go, yeah, as I'm putting in that grant, uh, maybe I do need to think about something else. One of the things that that I, that I learned early on in, in my um, professional career is you know the, the idea of human factors uh, in design. Let's use that as an example. Um, many times human factors gets called in at the end when they've got a problem and the pilot doesn't fit in the cockpit. And it's like, wow, that could have been fixed if you thought about anthropometrics early on in the process. And so trying to create a story where that that how do we think about framing the problem and, and, and then how do we solve that really, and then who needs to be in the room? Who needs to be on the bus to use that language to make sure that we're answering? Does that kind of address what you were talking about?
1: Yeah. I, the only thing I, I would would love to hear a little bit more about is your work with Catherine. Like you talked about kind of the areas where you were weak, not weak, but where you saw opportunities for other strengths. Um, I wonder what that dialogue with you two looked like in this space.
2: Yeah, we were a bit um, kind of kindred spirits that way in terms of we did that and so it was really a matter then of kind of walking back a little bit to go okay this is how we think about it. i mean the whole idea of having yeah. multiple authors on these chapters is a modeling of that whole aspect of what can we bring to bear what kind of knowledge experience that we can can have to to bring that in because i come from a a very nuanced background as as many of us do and then that that frames where we're at so we didn't wanted to make sure we didn't get And then just to kind of sit there and go, okay, in a perfect world, if we have people who are thinking interdisciplinary, what does that look like, right? What might that be like? And so the idea of, and some of the couple of things that we recommended was things that some people are already doing, but who are the co-authors that you need to have on on the publication? When we talk about presentations at a conference, who are we bringing in there to be with us? As we think about grants, um, who needs to be part of that grant, right? And 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 really, it's a strengthening aspect. If the more you can capacity you can bring to bear on a grant, then the easier it is for a funder to sit there and go, "Wow, you really thought intentionally about the all of the aspects and how all the VINs line up, right?" So it was really a lot of that. Uh, you know, what can we do practically? Because interdisciplinary, the nice part about it is it's really on that applied side. What does this really matter? What's it mean for the end user? So how do we then walk back to going? How do we capture that so that it, it tells the right story. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, it definitely does. It's it's interesting. You had me reflecting back on, so I was part of the writing team for the research agenda that preceded the one that that you worked on. And one of the outcomes of that, we were asked, I think there was a special issue of like the journal leadership education where the author teams, we kind of split up and, and wrote a couple kind of integration pieces that addressed the priorities that came out of that one, and interdisciplinarity was one that came out that time as well. Uh, really, kind of focusing on on how context was a, a big component of the lens of which to kind of approach any research that would come out of uh, what the priorities had or what the research agenda had put out there. And you know, I had just come out of a well, my my dissertation work, and then I was w- actively working on a project when I was writing that this piece was studying like. Where are leadership educators coming from? Those that are teaching in leadership programs, those that are working in co-curricular leadership programs. I mean, this was mostly within um, the higher education context. One of the interesting things was that all these scholars and faculty were, many were like trained in a single discipline. And most of the advanced degrees were like outside of leadership or leadership studies. Yet here they are all finding themselves in leadership programs or management programs or IO psych programs or what have you. Some of it being because there weren't terminal degrees in leadership or related fields at the time these so this you know this is 10 years ago when this, these studies were taking place that's changed a little bit. There's some evolution there, but still like much of the work that's done in studying leadership crosses disciplinary lines. Right. And so like, to your point, you've got to bring these people together from these different areas because like leadership matters in all these contexts and Hey, we might learn something, right. If we bring in these people and and it's not just diversity of thought and perspective, but, but it's also like, what can we learn about leadership and education, training, development that's informed by how that work is done in these, these different fields. So that's just, it's interesting to see these parallels. I don't know if you have any, any response to that.
2: Yeah. It's that whole idea because it's not just about the learning. It's, it's how we think about things, right? We approach it from, so you're right. There's a diversity of thought. There's a diversity of experience. There's a diversity of, of methodology. There's a different, of, of all of that. Right. And so we, we try to make sense of that. You're right. Like you look at a lot of these programs now, people are coming from lots of different places. And that's just, to me, that's exciting because It gives you a a broader, richer discussion about what's going on, but we still see these caveats because we try to make sense of it, right? So you'll see programs in engineering leadership and specific things where, because we want to kind of make sense and put our own spin on that. I I learned that firsthand about how people think differently about it when um, I was, when I retired from the military, I went to uh, Penn State um, and uh, set up a uh, online master's program for them, a professional degree for them. And uh, we wanted to call it the Masters of Leadership. And there was, which sounds smart, right? It's, it's on leadership. So, uh, but what we learned was uh, no one owns the word leadership. So there was this caveat. And again, that's not a slime on, on the university. It was a larger discussion of who, where's it going to sit, right? I was in the Department of Psychology. Well, the Department of Psychology can't have the leadership, the leadership masters at Penn state. Right. And that's fair. I get that. We were going to be interdisciplinary, but it was just that idea. So we ended up kind of caveating it as the psychology of leadership. So how do we bring that in? And I bring that up to say that, you know, just that idea of we're still wrestling, right. People kind of find their way like you talk about being in marketing and kind of getting there, or we are coming from different backgrounds and getting here. I was going to be a computer scientist when I went to, went to get my undergrad. I, I, you know, had a great IO psychology class and it kind of shifted my, my thing. We all kind of find our way. And so we kind of get it, but it's that idea of how do we help other people understand the value of what that brings to the table and how it is. And to your point about kind of thinking and doing different things. And this whole idea of interdisciplinary is like, if you've ever co-authored something with somebody and they've written a part of it and you've written a part of it and then you're trying to close it together. And it's like, this sounds like two different people. Well, it's from a from a, a, a learning and development standpoint, it's the exact same. It's because we approach it a little bit differently. And then the discussion and the richness from that becomes a better article in the long run, right? It's why we have the editorial process, the reviewers go, have you thought about this? Or what about this? Or you need to robust that. That's the beauty of the system where we help one another doing that. And interdisciplinary, this whole, this whole idea of this function is, is to get us talking about that more openly so it becomes our natural state versus having to have a forcing function on it.
1: You know, I love that you shared that because to me it feels like it, it really increases your own self-awareness. You know, if we're in our bubble and we're only looking at leadership from whatever our disciplinar- discipline is in that perspective, there are just so many things that we're missing out in terms of what we can incorporate and then where we can create similarities. Like I think my students are primarily in communication, but they're going to go work in law firms or they're going to go work at engineering companies. And so they're going to have to learn how to work with other folks. But I also think about well, what's engineering teaching them about leadership development and where are those um, synergistic moments or where are those synergies where we're both speaking the same language that when they get into the workplace or they get to, I always use their, uh, they have a gen ed called um, Mosaics, it's like intellectual heritage, where you just kind of learn about culture. And I'm like, well, when you get to your intellectual heritage class, like how are you gonna be able to connect with and understand how your engineering peer um, learns about leadership? And so it really gives, uh, like you said, a richer experience. I also, it makes me think about, we just did a conversation uh, with uh, NDSL, I think it was 176 on graduate leadership programs. And so I'm, towards the end of mine, And one of the things I love about our program is it's not just interdisciplinary, but it's international. And so it it changed completely how I thought about leadership development, as well as how I champion for change, because I'm talking to someone who is from the Middle East, and they don't have the same freedoms as I do as a woman. Um, It also makes me think about an incredibly rich conversation. So I sat in on at ILA, um, the global conference in October, I sat in on this women's leadership program with uh, Dr. Julie Owen. It was wonderful. I love her, big fan of hers. And I'm sitting next to this woman who does work in the Middle East. And some of the women in the room were pushing for things in the U.S. that we don't have, like we have voting rights, so we're kind of in a different place in terms of the rights that we're pushing for. And this woman kind of, and she's from Canada, but she works primarily in the Middle East. She's like, you know, it blows my mind that we're arguing for this this thing when I work with people who they can't even get their own driver's license. They can't even vote for the people who are going to make laws that they're going to have to abide by. And so the, the thing I appreciated about that was, I wasn't I was with the women who were pushing beyond voting rights in the U.S. I hadn't even thought about that in a long time. And so the the interdisciplinary space not just opens up the conversation about kind of different types and different majors, it really opens up to what is it like in another country, in another region, in another culture, in a way that our students need more than ever? Like our university says we're creating a future global leaders, but they can't be global leaders if I'm not in there talking about what leadership looks like in these different spaces. I'm doing them a disservice if I'm not. So just as a leadership educator, the, it, it just makes us that much better.
2: No, And what I love about kind of what you said, because it hits on a really important part and it's why I, why I try to work on the teaching side, the research side, but also the consulting side, because it's that connective piece to it. Because one of the things that that I got when I, you know, when you're doing your, your PhD and your graduate work, you get really hyper-focused on a particular area. And I, you know, you drill down, you get real good. And so I, my, my dissertation work was on, you know, uh, kind of multitasking, polychronicity, doing multiple things at once and all that. And I got down on there and I, I would try to explain to my wife and she's saying, okay, I get that, but why does that matter? And, and why that was important is because it, it was important to understand the constructs, the nomological net around the construction, all of that is critically important. And what I love about leadership and this whole space is we get to necessarily now connect that to what it means in the context, because what you're talking about is global. It's like the so what piece of it, right? We want to be relevant. We want to be important. We need to understand effect sizes. We need to understand how, you know, the mediations, the moderation, all that stuff But what I love about leadership is now we get to we actually have a responsibility to, in my opinion, to take that to the next step and go, Okay, what does that mean for the leader in the Middle East? What does that mean for the leader who's working for a global multinational company? Or what does that mean for a nonprofit where you really don't have clear lines of communication and you've got to rely on influence and prestige and all that kind of stuff to really kind of understand that? So I, I agree. I love that because it allows us to, I think, to um, impact people, uh, at a broader level beyond just education into that development space. And that's what I like about the leader education and development because we get to do that. And that's why I like character and leadership because it's that whole idea of who you, you know, Hogan and Kaiser stuff, who you are is how you lead, right? How you show up, you lead from where you're at. If you don't like it, fix it, right? We can do that because it's developmental. So, um, yeah, how all of that fits together. And that's when I think of the interdisciplinary, I also think, um, you know, across a person's professional career as well, whether they're at the K through twelve, just starting to think about character and leader element, or they're they're more at the, the the end of their career, it's all important. It's all relevant, right? Dave Day's written a lot about that, leading across the the lifespan and that kind of stuff, because it's critical. It's important, but it's important in different ways, uh, right?
0: Yeah, so I'm thinking this is great because it, it I think it's demonstrating in some ways how your own experiences and some of these interactions and what has been important to you and your kind of journey and study of leadership uh, had some influence on the approach that that you took to to leading this part of the research agenda through this priority. I'm curious, you know, maybe what else or, or what were some of the learnings about yourself as a leader, that maybe came out of this writing process, as you were focusing specifically on on this priority and and naming it, the outcomes that emerged. What what kind of comes to mind for you there?
2: Yeah, I it, it I think it goes back to one. It's the I, and and again, probably all people say this is I. I like to think I'm generally pretty self aware because I live in this mm-hmm. space. I'm in this space, but I realize I have a certain thought process. And by bringing that thought process and those biases or my experience, I come from a different lived experience, right, than a lot of people do. So I have, a, I start out kind of a military experience that framed me and shaped me in a way to think about things in a more, I think, practical way, right, a very kind of not necessarily right or wrong, but it's kind of, you know, very specific way of thinking. And then to realize that, that that's not That's not normal for everybody. And so, just it was a reinforcement to me as I think about it is what am I bringing into the discussion that was that's going to limit my approach or my way of thinking that's a little bit different? And what am I, what am I, what conversations am I not allowing? What narratives am I blocking out because I think it should be a certain way? I've been doing this for a while, so I kind of get a good idea. Well, yeah, I mean, there's some value in that experience, but not to the point where it would keep us from continuing to push and grow on that awareness of what, what else needs to be done? What are we missing? What are we, what are we not doing? Who, again, there are many voices, what voices are not being part of this discussion that could really add value to it. Right. And, and, and uh, how do we, how do we really uh, connect that? So I don't know if that addresses kind of what you're thinking, but.
0: No, it does. Yeah. I mean, some of, you know, doing these writing projects, there's the, you know, the self is part of that journey. Right. And kind of how we develop and how we interpret it. And oftentimes you'll, you start writing things that you're like, Oh, how did, Where did that come from? You know, I I just connected these two things or maybe the conversation you and Katie had might have brought out some different ideas, and um, just because the perspective that I can, you know, I know, I know her a little bit from meeting her, talking, chatting with her at conferences and whatever. And we have a, a friend in common, and um, she is definitely a, a very, very strong and critical thinker, and, and brings in some things that are very different from the experiences that I uh, that you shared. And so, just that can uh, can bring out a lot of things. And 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 to your point around like who's not at the table. What are some uh, pairings or mixings up of of uh, of different, different disciplinary perspectives that might advance this uh, this priority? I, I guess I I'm curious. Have you been involved in any scholarly activity, um, or have you come aware of any scholarly activity that kind of addresses or advances this particular priority since it came out a few years ago?
2: Yeah, it's a, that's a good question. I, I do start to see some some publications out there where the the term interdisciplinary kind of in the title as a kind of idea of thinking about that. And recognizing the need to that, you know, sometimes sometimes we need to call it out and name it so that we can really kind of start thinking about what it is. I think because again, we all kind of look at it, maybe or or that under that have been in this for a while, go, yeah, it makes sense, right? We know what's coming from different ways. That's different than actually getting together and doing it. So I I let me, if you allow me, flip that question back to you all. Have you all noticed in the last five years or so a difference? Because of your roles and what you're connected to, a difference in the narrative or the conversation around this idea of of interdisciplinary and it translating to things like projects, uh, programs, curriculum, and all that.
1: You know, I'll say this. I I feel like I was more open to it just by the nature of my path through leadership. So I was in student affairs for 10 years and you're dealing with students from everywhere. So I knew what leadership programs existed in what school or college, and even to this day still refer students. So I have a student who um, came up to me after class the other day and she's like, you know, I'm kind of thinking about, should I stay in this major? And I'm like, well, why, where's that coming from? And the conversation we had, essentially I was like, you know, you should stay kind of just based on timing. She's like, you know, wrapping up her junior year. And I'm just like, just logistically, you don't want to restart anywhere. I was like, but also there are some rich courses if you like this area. And I was able to share like, here's a class that you can take that I think that would feed that interest. But ultimately, it's about how you tell their, your story. We all know there's no true path to leadership, which is a blessing and a curse for our industry. But I, I feel like now it's it's okay to dip into those other spaces and to make those and to build those relationships, because we're often trying to figure out for ourselves as leadership educators, kind of what's our next step? Where should we go? Um, and so I feel like it's, it's, people are more open to the conversation because they're having those conversations with their students. I'm also biased though. In student affairs, we kind of, we, I just care that you are enrolled, you know, and and it doesn't matter what school or college, I just need you to have a functioning ID card, pay your student fees and be able to move forward. Um, But by the nature of that role, you have to know where leadership exists in the co-curricular side across the university.
0: Yeah. What would I add to that? I mean, I, I think, you know kind of like like Laura and I've I've had a more non-traditional path into you know kind of falling into this field you know even to the point where the college where I started my career as uh, as a faculty member here at at Southern Maine was an interdisciplinary college it just so happened that our leadership and organizational studies program was part of this interdisciplinary college. So we were, although this has com- been completely dismantled in the last decade since I've been here and the college no longer exists and we're part of another college now and all these types of things. But when I when I got to the university, our colleagues were in, there was a humanities program, a social and behavioral sciences program, a natural and applied sciences program, and then an occupational therapy program, right? So all of us We're working together in this space, and we would come together for college-wide meetings. I think it might have been every; it was at least monthly. It might have been every other week. All the decisions that were made within the college were all in an interdisciplinary focus. You know, you would have a rotating chair that could be from any of these different programs, and so like that was how. That's kind of how uh, I was brought into the academy. You know, as my first stint as a as a full time. A faculty member on the tenure track. And now we're a department that is kind of on our own, but we still have this sense of like interdisciplinarity that is just like baked into our resolve and who we we're always collaborating with other departments, whether it be on, you know, uh, professional development workshopping, you know, teaching a symposia that we might do at the university or research projects or, and I, I think about the types of students that come into our programs. They're from all walks of life very few have a leadership degree you know we've got biologists we've got nurses we've got restaurant owners we've got military veterans we've got you know folks from from all over the place you know in the diversity is even more so i guess in of discipline in the graduate programs of so just where people are kind of finding themselves wanting to advance their understanding of or their practice and application of of leadership and so i i definitely do think that informs you know the types of dissertation and thesis projects that come out of our programs because while one student is looking at something from like the police force because that they're a detective there and another student's looking at something from the issue of like women's and gender studies because she's also the director of that uh, on-campus program right and so it's just I think it is still so much a part of our of our discipline and at the same time you do have folks that are getting much more hyper-focused on just leadership or just organization studies or what have you. But as long as these people can still continue to talk, I think we'll be okay.
2: <laughs> we need that, right? We need both, right? I mean, that's yeah. the beauty, right? That hyperfixation on something really helps us build the depth of knowledge that really builds that knowledge base. But then now, then how do we do that? So, and then we need those kind of, kind of boundary spanners, right? It's like, we all kind of find our way here eventually, but we all kind of started from a different uh a a different place and, you know, makes me think philosophically as we think about, and I'm not a educational specialist, but that whole idea of as we start thinking about, you know, and and our programs become more robust uh, is how do we, how do we attract those students who think that way naturally in terms of attracting them into the field early on, right? So we do, again, a lot of us end up here (laughs) kind of, you know, it's at some point in our career, some earlier than others, but Is there a way to more intentionally go after and think about students who have that that interdisciplinarity mindset early, that learning orientation early to kind of pull them in? And do we have the structures in place that we could actually do something with that when we actually get them? Because what would it look like to grow up in a program uh, and come in as an undergrad, stay there, go through master's, PhD or go out into the work? and just really be in there the whole time. That would be really cool, right? We kind of all get glimpses and pieces and end up here. But what if we had, what if I had 30 years to grow up in that mindset intentionally, not ad hoc, or, you know, on the side, or I found my way. Now there's learning a- along the way and, and all that. So I don't want to dismiss that either. But is there something we can do a little more intentionally to kind of think about how do we get to those students early on so that they really do that? Because, that's another thing in terms of this whole idea of interdisciplinary. I have certain mental models that I have because I'm, I'm 53 years old. Like the, the society that I grew up in and the area that I grew up in naturally constrains some of those parameters. When I take some of these ideas about leadership and, and development to my kids, they're like, yeah, you know, they're in their twenties and they're like, yeah, that's just how we think. And so that's another one of those shifts. As you think about this idea of interdisciplinary, I find myself sometimes trying to convince people about it. And they're like, yeah, we got it. It's, it's all good. Yeah, you're done. Don't 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 spend the next hour doing that because I have already got it, right? And it's like, wow, that's different. And so this idea of how we think about that and how we think about thinking that is really different. It's what we've learned about adult learners, right? The, yeah. Our andragogy versus our pedagogy. It's just different. What They've got lived experience. They want to know about it. How does that connect? They want the feedback. They want to know what it means to them. The, all those things that we know, it's just different than laying down, you know, fundamental foundational knowledge for people that they can then build on in their, in their, in their career. So uh, I don't know, that's kind of around the, around a circle there a little bit, but it makes me think larger, you know, systemically, what can we do um, to really start to encourage that pull to our uh, systems? And then do we have a systems in place that could actually support them when they get there? And and you talked a little bit about that and things move around and um, it's been my experience too. We don't, You know, know, ironically, we don't have a leadership degree at the Air Force Academy. You might think that we would uh, because it's what we do, but we have behavioral sciences and, you know, and and that kind of thing. And it fits under that aspect. Behavioral sciences and leadership is kind of a combined thing because the person is also part of the behavior. Um, But, you know, what do our programs look like? And and they're growing and robusting. So that's uh, we've come a long way in that way.
1: How how cool that you've been able to, to also to see that growth and to see all of that change happen um, at your in your space. Um, so we talked a lot today. Is there anything maybe we didn't ask you about the priority or about the process of writing for the research agenda that maybe you want to drop in or leave with our leadership educator audience?
2: Yeah, I think um, what what I like about the agenda is it really starts to frame some um priorities. Um, and and where people might go or where people might invest in terms of a, a research product or that. I know when I was in grad school, one of the things I loved reading in articles, I didn't love reading everything about articles, but one of the one was future studies, future steps. Where can we go from here? Because it was like, and you know, what are we doing? What can we do that? The, to me, the idea of the the priorities and what they do is they lay out some things going, this is important. Let's all, if we all jump in as a, as a group and think about this and maybe put some, some research and scholarship behind some dimensions of that, what might that look like? And some of it already exists, right? But are there areas we can do that? So to me, that's the most important part about that. Not so much that there's however many priorities, but that it really starts to orient somebody maybe new to the space to go, where, am I, where might I want to spend my time? Where Where has the field that's gone before me said, this is kind of important to think about, and then creates a lexicon and a language for me as a student to go, okay, this is the things I need to be thinking about if I want to contribute um, intentionally into this space.
0: Yeah, it's such a great endeavor that the field comes together to to do this. And it's great to see Tony and Chris Dan lead that effort. Uh, and that's the, that's the second time Tony's led that effort based on some of the experiences he had he had shared and when we had him on the podcast around uh, agenda for agricultural research in that field and some from some of his background working in an extension and and it is so important right and for folks that are coming into the field you know whether it's faculty that found themselves we said from another discipline finding themselves in a teaching in a leadership program or a graduate student that's trying to figure out well what do i want to write about and what what you know what uh piques my interest so um yeah no no, doug thanks thanks for joining us today definitely dropped some great ideas on us and definitely appreciate you taking the time to to speak with us about uh, the Priority 7. And we're just excited to share this episode and your and your team's work with our listeners. Valuable insights for sure. And, and if folks uh, haven't, aren't convinced, uh, they definitely are now about uh, interdisciplinary approach to leadership and, and how it can be leveraged to address some of these complex challenges facing organizations and society. So again, thank you.
2: It's been my pleasure, my honor, and, and I thank you for what you're doing and because it's one thing to to undergo this effort and kind of write it and throw it out there it's a different con it's a different opportunity to have a conversation about it and what does it really mean right because there's a lot of words on there and it's a lot of it's dense but to really be able to put that into a format for folks on the podcast where they can listen to it and go okay, I got that because I because you know it, it I'll hear it different I'll 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 take it a little bit different based on where I'm at in the moment so I can sit there and go, that's what we're talking about because otherwise it sounds a little bit like, oh, I got to go work with engineers. I got to go work with that. It, it's, but it's so much more rich than that and that idea. And you only get that through things like a podcast or whatever. So I, I appreciate that because I know it's a ton of work to do that. So,
1: Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Yep, My
0: pleasure. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page, and find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Doctor Underscore Leadership, and Lauren is at M R S L A U R J B. That's Miss. Laura JB. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at leadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us.
1: We'd like to thank the James M. Cox, Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management.
0: And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience.
1: And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators the Association of Leadership Educators, and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org